Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to The Gangster, book six in the Galactic Football League series. Written and performed by Scott Sigler. The Gangster is suitable for ages 12 and up and contains graphic violence. The Gangster is also available as a signed, numbered, limited edition hardcover while supplies last. To order, go to scottsigler.com slash store. Hello, junkies! I'm on vacation, bitches. I'm on vacation. I'm on vacation, bitches. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm recording this one and episode number 27 of The Gangster ahead of time so that I can go out and be on vacation. But since I am a capitalist, I want to remind you that if you want stuff, books, stickers, magnets, etc., scottsigler.com slash store is still open, but we won't be shipping anything until June 7th, 2021 at the earliest. So shop to yawn heart's content, but be aware it will be a tad before you get your goodies. At the time of recording this episode, I am 60,000 words into the second draft of GFL Book 7. That is over one-third done. Super pumped. Pumped. I will be working at it while I'm on vacation because if the story's clicking away in my brain, I got to strike while the iron is hot. So many intricate connections being made in this book with the rest of the GFL, the novels, the novellas, and other Siglerverse books as well, which I can't tell you about right now. You will have to wait to read it to find out. So let me get you caught up on the story so far for the gangster, and then I'm going to go sip me a vacation scotch. Previously on The Gangster, Gillian Carbonaro rescued Quentin from the borehole. Now that Quentin is free, he plots his revenge against Greedock the Splithead, but to achieve that goal, he must first convince the crew of the Oleran to help. The Rumpus Room We call this the Rumpus Room, Killian said. This is where we meet. Relax, whatever. Make yourself at home. The crew's on the way to meet you. The room looked like a museum of discarded things. A large holo tank that was three or four tech generations old. Several pieces of well-worn furniture. Three couches, two cushy chairs, an orange metal coffee table that based on the numerous chips and scratches, had been repainted a dozen times in a dozen different colors. In the Hypatia, furniture was bolted down against unexpected maneuvering or potential loss of artificial gravity, but those fasteners were built into the pieces. They were invisible. Not so in the rumpus room. Angle brackets and bolts abounded, locking down what looked like the leftovers from a grandmother's estate sale. Three smells dominated. Coffee, mildew, and burned pizza. The coffee scent came from a machine bolted to the counter, while the mildew scent had to come from the large throw rug lying between the furniture and under the coffee table. Nice, Quentin said. 
Should I get you a fumigation gift certificate for giving day? Killian shrugged, used the beer bottle in his hand to gesture to the ceiling. We have a recurring leak up there somewhere. Gets the carpet wet. We'll get it fixed one of these days. We're used to the smell, I guess. Your crew, Quentin said. Do you trust them? Without question. We've been through quite a bit together. Zero hesitation in Killian's answer. Quentin had to figure out how much he could tell the crew. He didn't want to swap one problem for another. Killian drained his beer, lightly tossed the bottle into a trash bin where it landed with the audible clink of glass on glass. He walked to a small, battered fridge, pulled out another, opened it, and was already drinking it before he shut the fridge door. He certainly liked to knock them back. Ah, Killian said. Here they come. Three crew members walked in. It had to be a joke. Aya led the way, beaming at Quentin with that moon-eyed smile of hers. Behind her walked a thin, beat-up, bipedal labor robot that seemed to be made out of junk, with a tattered teddy bear where the bot's face would have been. The third crew member? A male sclorno, a twitching ball of fuzz about the size of Quentin's chest. Your crew consists of Aya, a robot with a toy forehead, and a bedbug? Speciesist, the fuzzball said. Quentin cringed inside. He'd used the slur without even thinking about it. Beans, I assume. Sorry, I didn't mean it like that. Sure, the fuzzball said, although Quentin couldn't see whatever passed for a mouth. Next, I bet you tell me some of your best, best, best friends are male Sklorno. At maybe 30 kilos, Beans was medium size for Sklorno males, although Quentin didn't know a lot about them. He'd never seen one as a ship crew member, let alone in an important position like engineer. Male Sklorno were waiters, cooks, gardeners, housekeepers, servants, jobs that didn't require an extensive education, which male Sklorno weren't allowed to pursue. In some ways, male and female Sklorno were clearly of the same species. Like the females, males had four eye stalks peeking out from a dense mat of coarse fur, two tentacles in their chest, a mouth plate behind which hid two tooth-studded tongues known as raspers, translucent flesh through which one could see clear blood pumping through clear veins and legs that folded backward instead of forward. In other ways, the two genders looked like they'd evolved on different planets. Females had two long, powerful legs, while males had four stubby legs. Females had no hard outer shell, whereas males had overlapping, curved plates of chitin that let them curl up into a little armored ball. Add in that the chitin plates were covered in that same coarse fur, and males seemed like a separate race altogether. That fur came in several dark shades. Beans's fur was black as midnight. Quentin had said the slur without thinking. Nothing he could do about it now. Best to just move on. He looked at the whip-thin bot with a bizarre teddy bear face. The arms didn't match. Neither did the legs. A hodgepodge of different parts welded together, in some places taped together. A robot is a full crew member? Are you an AI or something? I am actually elsewhere in the ship. The voice came from speaker film behind the teddy bear, making the words a bit muffled. My name is Zan. This is not a robot. It is a schmeck. You mean mech, Quentin said. The male Sklorno's fur fluffed up, fell flat again. Zan didn't stutter, Bean said. 
a schmeck. It's a b -b -b branding thing. I make them out of used parts. I'm usually in one. You're lucky to see my pretty, pretty self. Quentin wanted to ask if used was a synonym for junk, but he had no desire to further offend the little sentient. Fair enough, Quentin said. Uh, Zan, why are you elsewhere in the ship? Zan has her own little space on board, Killian said. She never leaves, on account that she's agoraphobic. She's afraid of spiders? Quentin glanced at the Sklorno. I mean actual spiders. I wasn't making a speciesist comment against the quiff. The Sklorno's fur ruffled. Sure you weren't. Fear of spiders is arachnophobic, Killian said. In Zan's case, agoraphobic means she doesn't like to leave her cabin. Quentin had his own issue with punch travel, so he understood phobias. I'd be happy to come meet you, Zan, he said. That would not work out, said the robot, or rather, the schmeck. I am also anthropophobic, as well as sociophobic, nosophobic, scoptophobic, and even a little chlorophobic thrown in for good measure. Quentin didn't understand any of those words. He glanced at Killian. She doesn't meet people in person, the older man said. Just leave it at that. Such a strange operation his father had going on here. Fine, Quentin said. Nice to meet you, Zan. What do you do on the Oleron? Navigator. And I do any sciencey things that need doing. Oh, I see how it is, the fuzzball said. You care what Zan does, but you've already forgotten about me, right? Because Sklorno males should be seen and not heard, right? Killian sighed. Give it a rest, Beans. Your perceived speciesism gets as old as hell, you know that? The Scalorno's fur ruffled again. Easy for a property-owning human to say. This introduction was uncomfortable and getting worse every second. Quentin needed to win these sentients over, convince them to help him against Greedock. Beans, Quentin said, trying to sound friendly. That's an interesting name. That's what they call me. But if you want to use my real nana name, it's Baritone Kitty Gwan Scoopita Gadagik. Quentin got lost in the string of syllables. Kitty, Quan, uh, what was that again? Kitty, Quan, Scoopita, Gadagik. There was no use trying to pronounce that now. Maybe he could memorize it later. Sorry, I guess I'm used to female Sklorno names. No, you're used to athlete names, Bean said. Only athletes take the name of an Earth city. You probably think Sklorno only m -m matter if they can catch a football, right? Killian shook his head. When Beans here isn't treating us to his persecution complex, he's our engineer, mechanic, inventor, and jack-of-all-trades. Beans is apex, Aya said. He can fix anything. Anything he can't fix, he can probably build. Beans unrolled a rasper, used it to smooth his fur. At least some respect for my skills, he said. And you, human who's even larger than the skipper. Your skipper's progeny? Quentin glanced at Killian, who smiled and shrugged. I'm Killian's son, yeah. Skipper Junior, Bean said. Or perhaps just Junior. I'm told human offspring like that nana nickname. If so, Quentin wasn't one of them. Call me Quentin, please. When you call me by my real name, I'll call you by yours. Killian rubbed his eyes. Beans, you promised me you wouldn't act like an idiot. The ball of fur ruffled. Beans smelled slightly like fresh paint. 
I did p -p promise you that, the little Sklorno said. But Skipper, this one starts ahead of his blessed milkiness. Why should I be nice? Aya snorted, held back a laugh. His blessed milkiness? Quentin sighed. Beans is a member of the Church of Yitzhak Goldman, I take it. That he is, Killian said, then gestured to the couches. Everyone, have a seat. Quentin here is going to tell us about his master plan for revenge. Aya sat in a flaking leather chair, its left arm covered in what looked like silver duct tape decorated with some kind of black pattern. She pulled out a marker, started absently drawing on the tape. The pattern was, apparently, dozens of little doodles. She tucked her feet beneath her, which made her look even more like a little girl. Bean scrambled up on the couch. Zan stood behind the couch, made no move to use any of the furniture. Maybe Schmecks didn't sit. Maybe they were put together so poorly they couldn't sit. Quentin plopped down in a threadbare recliner, a thin bit of dust puffing out from the cushion. He relaxed into the chair before he realized it fit him perfectly. It was made for Killian's oversized proportions. Quentin started to get up, but Killian waved him back down. You're our guest, the older man said. Sit. The older man sat on the couch next to Beans. Time for the pitch. A girl, his father, one furball, and one teddy bear-faced schmeck waited, so Quentin began. He told them of the religion founded in his name, the church's swift growth, and how it had gone through a schism, splitting into smaller factions. The reason he was in the borehole in the first place was because Greedock had told the Ministry of Religion the schism was a lie, that the churches hadn't split at all. Was Greedock right? Schmeck Zan asked. Were you behind the schism? Of course not, Quentin said. Lying was becoming as easy as telling the truth. I have to find out what false evidence, if any, Greedock provided to the Ministry of Religion, Quentin said. That's the first step to disproving it and getting the CMR to leave me alone. I also want Greedock to recant whatever testimony he gave them. Aya seemed to believe what Quentin said, as did Killian. With Beans, it was hard to tell, and with Zan's stuffed animal face, completely impossible. Quentin told them about his fake father, how Greedock had hired an actor to pretend to be Killian Carbonaro. He told him of the injury to his arm. He told him that Greedock was a threat to his wife, to his unborn child, to all the sentience Quentin cared about. Then, he told them of the plan. Take the Oleron to Ionath, lure Greedock to the borehole, trap him here, and find out what he knew. After that, or perhaps as part of it, using the Gibble Juants on the leader, finding another abandoned asteroid mine to hide out in for the seven to ten standard days necessary for the transformation to occur. With said transformation, Greedock would lose all of his influence. Quentin would be free of that threat. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. 
From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. When he finished, the questions came fast and hard. Possessing Gibble Juants is a crime, Schmexan said. It is a capital offense on Quith Worlds. Where did you get it? Quentin didn't think mentioning that one crime lord gave it to him to take out another crime lord would help his cause. I have it, he said. That's all that matters. The teddy bear face stared out blankly. So disturbing. You escape prison, Bean said. Why not just r- run away, hide, start a new life? Because I won't be able to play football was the first thing to slip into Quentin's thoughts, but there was more to it. Much more. Sentience I love are in Greedock's organization, Quentin said. If I don't stop him, he'll use them against me. He'll hurt them. Kill them. These sentients, they're my family. You understand? The Oleron crew, even the teddy bear face Schmeck, exchanged glances. Quentin could see they felt the same way about each other as he did about John, Jew, Ma, Janine, Chodo, Fred, and more. So Killian had left one family and found another. These three. Yeah, Aya said. We get that gleam. Gleam? She must have seen the confused look on his face. It means we understand, she said. You said you want Greedock to recant his testimony. How do you think you'll get him to do that? I'll be very convincing, Quentin said. By convincing, Schmeckzan said. Do you mean that you will beat the truth out of him? Quentin thought of his hands around the leader's neck, of punching Greedock over and over again, getting Greedock to beg for his life. I didn't say that, Quentin said, but I'll do what I have to do to be free. The suffering stare of a teddy bear was an odd feeling indeed. You think you can make Greedock the split head talk, Schmexan said. Do you find it hypocritical that we rescued you from torture, yet here you are ready to torture another sentient being? Quentin didn't have an answer for that, so he said nothing. But, oh, what fun it would be to give Greedock just a taste of the punishment Quentin had endured over the past few weeks. I hope you have other options, Schmexan said, her teddy bear wobbling oddly as she talked. Quith leaders can endure far more pain than humans or any other known species for that matter. A leader's mental control is at a high level. 
Some, like Greedock, can even consciously shut off pain signals to their brain. Turn off pain signals? That's impossible, Quentin said. We'll see what happens when he's on the same X they used on me. So you do not know, Schmexan said. Know what? How the Splithead got his name. The question caught him off guard. Greedock's name? No, he hadn't really given that a second thought. He was not always a crime lord, Schmexan said. Over a century ago, he was a low-level syndicate operative for Pylor the Tame, working his way up the organization. Greedock had another name then, Greedock the Thinker. The Thinker. That name fit. He was captured by an opposing syndicate, Zan said. A key group called Sixth Eye. They tortured him, asked him to give up details on Pylor's location and movements. Greedock refused. Greedock was so resistant to pain that Six Eye threatened to use surgical tools to open his skull. Still, he refused. They made good on their threat. They opened his skull and applied electrical charges directly to his brain in hopes of causing him significant pain. Even then, Greedock refused to talk. Pylor's operatives rescued Greedock. When they saw what had been done to him and established that he had not betrayed Pylor, Pylor promoted Greedock and awarded him a new name, the Splithead. Schmeckzan seemed to sense something was off with her teddy bear. She adjusted the stuffed animal. In certain circles of quith culture, I am told, Greedock's willpower is legendary, she said. You will not force him to talk. Could that be true? Greedock had endured electrical shocks applied directly to his brain? Quentin had broken. Greedock had not. It was easy to assume the tiny leader was fragile, weak, but maybe that wasn't true at all. Maybe Greedock was tough, something that mattered more than even physical strength or speed. I'll figure something out, Quentin said. There's a way to get him to tell me what he told the CMR, what his false evidence is, and I'm going to get him to recant his testimony. There had to be a way. Getting Greedock to come here? I don't know, Aya said. Seems like an obvious trap, doesn't it? You think he'll fall for it? Quentin put those odds at 50-50, at best. But he couldn't share that with these people. Not yet. If they bought in, he could work on ways to increase the chances. I believe he will, Quentin said. If we set this up so that he thinks he's only got one chance to see me face-to-face, to see me broken, just this one chance, if we don't give him any other red flags, then yes. He won't come by himself, Bean said. He'll have guards. What do you plan to do to them? Without question, one of those guards would be Virak the Mean, a teammate, someone Quentin had bled with on the gridiron. Would he have to hurt Virak? Maybe even kill him? There is another issue, Zan said. Perhaps the most important thing. Does Greedock want his gender changed? Quentin shrugged. He and I aren't exactly friends. He hasn't shared his innermost desires with me. Don't obfuscate, Schmexan said, her mechanical voice sharp, cutting. Has he ever expressed his desire to Toltefine, to you or anyone you know? Toltefine. That was the quith word for the transformation. Quentin had read about it in the Hidden Queens. Two humans, a teddy bear, and a male Sklorno stared at him, 
waiting for an answer. No, Quentin said. I have never heard of Greedock expressing a desire to transform. The crew fell quiet. The silence shined a new light on what Quentin planned to do. Forcibly alter a sentient being's life forever. Aya shifted uncomfortably. This mission ain't quite the same as rescuing a falsely imprisoned man, she said. Some copious digum initiative here. Quentin looked from her to Killian. Copious digum initiative? What does that mean? Killian waved the question away. I can't keep up with Aya's slang, but I get the gist of it, he said. Aya's right. This is different from what we've done before. Aya, Zan, Beans, I asked you to help me rescue my son. You helped. I won't ask you to help me with this effort to stop Greedock, but at the same time, if you join me, I'll be grateful. I can't make up for lost time with my child, but I can do this to help him protect himself and his family. This is more than protection, Schmexan said. Quentin, do you know how offensive, how vile this act is to the Quith? Leaders choose to change gender. It's how the Quith species propagates. But you are not offering Greedock a choice. Aya tilted her head left, then right, seeming to weigh Zan's words. This can't be the first time this has happened, Aya said. I mean, it's happened before, right? The teddy bear face swiveled to look at Aya. Yes, it has happened before, Schmexan said. In times of bitter tribal war, and even though forcing Toltefin upon a leader is a capital offense in the Concordia, it still happens usually in the criminal world, for various reasons. The end result is the same, though. A leader's possessions are stripped away, and the newly converted sentient becomes reliant on caretakers. The teddy bear swiveled again. This time, the eyes seemed to stare at Quentin. What if someone kidnapped you and gave you a gender change operation against your will? Quentin felt his face flush with heat again. Such an obvious question, yet he hadn't thought about it that way. He didn't know what to say. Killian broke the silence, his voice low, unchallenging. Quentin, if you don't succeed with the strategy, tell them what you'll have to do instead. Quentin wanted John and Jew there, helping him. He wanted Becca, Chodo, and Kimberlin. He wanted Ma and Janine. Over the years, without really noticing it, Quentin had built up a support system, a structure that helped guide him through difficult times. None of those people were here to help him through this. All he had were the four strange sentients sitting in this rumpus room. Why was this thrust upon him? All he wanted to do was play football, to build a team, to win games and titles. Why couldn't Greedock have just let him do that? They could have worked together, built the greatest dynasty the GFL would ever see. Quentin wanted to live and let live. He couldn't. Not if he wanted his family to survive. If I don't transition, Greedock, I have to kill him. Either I do it myself, or I hire someone to do it for me. Or I work with his enemies and make a deal I do not want to make. Please believe me when I say Toltefin is the best way. Even if the transition is against his will, isn't that better than death? I wouldn't know, Bean said, because I'm not a quith, and neither are you, Junior. Aya shook her head. So much heavy, heavy. I'll be happy to get back to smuggling. She looked at the teddy bear-faced machine. Zan, 
What are your thoughts on forcibly turning a leader into a female? The Schmeck didn't respond for a moment. Quentin waited. Everyone waited. I do not know Greedock the Splithead, Zan said. But I have known sentients like him. I believe transitioning him is preferable to killing him, for in the end, he might still live. I will help Killian. Killian is family. I will not let my family risk this alone. I hesitated, then nodded. I suppose I feel dupe. Quentin glanced at Killian. Dupe? Duplicate, Killian said. She's in. Three of the four had agreed to help. Everyone waited on beans. There is significant risk, the Sklorno said, for which we should be paid. Oh, Quentin said, I can pay. No. Killian glared at the ball of fluff. This is my son. I will not charge him to save his life and the life of his family. The unquestioning bark of command. So definitive, even Quentin didn't think to argue with him. It was Killian's ship. Maybe he didn't boss his crew around, but when he made a decision, it was obviously final. Big risk. Big, big, Bean said. That would require a big, big miracle of fuel spontaneously reproducing, so we don't have to pay for it. Killian sighed. I know we're still short on funds. We'll figure that out later. Beans, make a decision. Are you in or are you out? The Sklorno's fur bristled. Four eye stalks angled toward Quentin. You know his milkiness, Bean said. Are you friends with his milkiness? Is he one of your family you want to protect? Guilt washed in anew. Zack, in the borehole, because Quentin had helped Yolanda Davenport. Quentin wanted to crawl under a rock and hide. But he didn't have that option. Yes, he is, Quentin said, somewhat surprised that he meant it. He wasn't close friends with Zack, but Zack had gone out of his way to try and help Quentin adjust to the demanding, often confusing world of the GFL. Without Zack, would Quentin have been able to adjust to the cultural differences as well as he had? There was no way to know. What mattered was that Zack had helped. You are friends and family with the creamy godling, Bean said. Because of this, I am in. And also, go Krakens! I nodded. Killian nodded. The Schmeck nodded, making the teddy bear jostle. All right, Killian said. Now there's only one person left you need to convince. You have been listening to The Gangster, book six in the Galactic Football League series, written and narrated by Scott Ziegler. Follow Scott on Instagram and Twitter, where he is at Scott Ziegler, one word, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Scott Ziegler. For more information on the Galactic Football League series and for more free audiobook podcasts, visit scottsigler.com. The Gangster was directed by A. Sigler, engineered by Steve Rickyberg. Copyright 2020, Empty Set Entertainment. Theme music is the song They're Watching Me by the band Super Weapon.
Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.